0: I'm
1: John. I'm Paul. I'm George. And I play the drums. From Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette. And Chachi's co-host, Beatles instructor at Suffolk University, David Galan.
2: Well, hello, everybody. It's Chachi LaPrette. Here we are for another edition of Get Back to the Beatles on the Boston Podcast Network, Pod617.com. Here with my faithful co-host, David Gallant, instructor of the Beatles class at Suffolk University. Hello, Mr. Gallant.
1: Hello, Chachi. How are you? Faithful, I like that. I'm like it's. It, it's uh, I'm, I'm Chachi's best friend, like a dog. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs>
2: You're number one. And number two right behind him is our producer and spiritual uh, leader, Mr. David Yaz from the Boston Podcast Network. David, how are you?
0: Hello. Uh, pleasure to be here, Chachi, as usual.
2: Uh, there he is with the Ringo accent. And Ringo is coming to the Boston area, his only New England appearance, on September 17th at the Box Center Wang Theater. Uh, So with that coming up, we thought that today's podcast would be a little bit of an exploration of the life of Mr. Richard Starkey, Sir Richard Starkey, or you know him as Mr. Ringo Starr. And we're very, very excited because, some of you might know, I host Breakfast with the Beatles in Boston and New Hampshire and Maine, the New England Breakfast with the Beatles on WUMB 91.9 FM out of Boston and on Classic Rock 92.1, one in Maine, New Hampshire and Maine, respectively. And we're excited because we are sponsoring the Ringo Starr Art Show, which will be at the Box Center, down the first floor. You go downstairs. It's going to start the Friday before the show. The show's on a Monday night. And if you buy certain pieces of Ringo's art, which are signed by Ringo, limited, you'll get a photograph with Ringo. You get to meet him. He... He fist bumps, Mr. Gallant. He doesn't you know, shake I, hands, but he shook I, my hand. I,
1: I heard that. I heard both fist bump and uh, kind of a uh, an elbow. He a does elbow, the elbow bump, too. Right? But the
2: last time I was with him, he shook my hand. And I, I was like, oh, I'm very impressed. So I was I was very uh, happy when he shook my hand. That's
1: high-level access, Josh. Yes,
2: and, and my broadcast today, our broadcast, I brought in some of my Ringo autographs that were signed before October 21st. <laughs> and so... Uh, A day that will
1: live in infamy.
2: Yes, so if you buy a certain piece of Ringo's art, you get to say hello, take a picture. So it's a lot of fun. On tour this year with Ringo is Colin Hay, Men at Work. Yes. Steve Lukather from Toto, Greg Raleigh of Santana, Graham Gouldman from 10CC, the newest member of the All-Star Band. And so that's all happening September 17th at the Box Center uh, Wang Theater in the boston's in boston's theater district some tickets are still available i know for a fact it's less than six hundred seats still available with about three weeks to go
1: well i know that uh... uh, twenty of those seats are spoken for because i will be taking my beatles class Uh, in fact uh, class ends at five forty five on that monday late afternoon early evening and so we'll all walk down as a group from uh... beacon hill where uh, our classroom is located down to the uh, to the Wang Center or Bach Center, and uh, a Beatles class will go see a Beatle.
2: What do they think of Ringo Starr, your students? You I mean, kind of like the yeah. kind of like the the what do they call it? When the, the puppy is the smallest, the the uh, the, the runt, the runt of the, the runt? litter. <laughs> <laughs> is that bad thing to say? But no, I mean, no. but uh, what do your students think? of You Ringo know, Starr?
1: they they it, most evidently in any old clips. Uh, even the the more contemporary clips of, of Ringo in the anthology, uh, they feel as though he's, uh, he's the most accessible, down-to-earth, um, and uh, always, uh, in the old footage that we see, always looking like he's having the time of his life, that he's having a great time. Uh, and he's often uh, the, the favorite uh, of a lot of uh, my my students and I think because of that uh, that sense of accessibility and they subscribe to uh, I think Brian Epstein's assessment that the the Beatles were four parts of one whole person you know and that uh, uh, John the mind and Paul the heart and George the soul but ringo was the flesh and blood right Right. Totally. so uh, I think that they 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 love him you know they they, they love him and uh, uh, they will hear now from parents or, or grandparents when their parents were young. They will hear of Ringo having been the conductor on Shining Time Station.
2: <laughs> and what, are, the tank. what are they? Do they ask about Pete Best? Do they wonder why Pete was dumped for Ringo? Do you, they disagree with the dumping?
1: They we, that is an important moment in the course uh, discussing why the change was made professionally, personally, uh, and I think that. Um, uh, it's certainly a, a point that I'm going to bring up to our special guest uh, later uh, during the podcast, and uh, it's a great uh, it's a great thing to talk about just because there's been so many so much mythology or or um, I don't know uh, bad history, if you will, mm-hmm. about what went on, and some of it is still shrouded in in mystery itself, but. Uh, they know the story up to that point and the ins and outs of uh, of band changes and everything else. But um, uh, they are very interested in that moment, you know. And in retrospect, of course, they think that it all makes sense <laughs> when do. the change was made, yeah. yeah.
2: Well, uh, it's an interesting story, and we do have a special guest calling in in just moments. The author is Michael Seth Starr, and uh, he had wrote a book, a, a great book, in fact. I really enjoyed it, called Ringo with a Little Help. He'll be on the phone with us momentarily, and we'll talk about uh, Ringo Starr, his uh, working on this project, his book. It came out a a year or two, a couple years maybe. He was on my my radio show. Great guy and a big history of of biographies, which we'll talk about when he calls in. But I think it's pretty amazing, uh, David Yaz, that uh, nowadays you can go to college, take a class on the Beatles, and get a free ticket to go see Ringo Starr. <laughs> well, you amazing.
1: know, yes, uh, free <laughs> is a relative term, right? Uh, they're taking my class, which means that they've paid the tuition for oh, the semester. Oh, okay. But this one. is a <laughs> this is a great perk, and uh, I wish that uh, before going down to the concert, Chachi, we could dine on Ringo rolls or. Uh, Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, what would have been maybe cheese-filled pizza from Pizza Hut when he uh, sold the... Uh, That's correct. Right? A little
2: fish and <laughs> chips.
0: Pardon me, Professor. Is this the day when you can expect mysterious students to show up that don't tend to show up to your class? <laughs> <laughs> Just like much much like Jeff Spicoli did in Fast Times when he showed
1: up for the uh, <laughs> <laughs> autopsy or whatever. Yeah, that was. yeah. Quite, quite possibly, but uh, <laughs> uh, I will hold all the tickets in my hand.
2: Has anyone ever had a pizza delivered to your class? <laughs>
1: Uh, we've had pizza in class. I have but seen that. Yes, you have seen that, but uh, no, not not uh, unbeknownst to me, so I don't have to interrupt and, you know, this is my time, <laughs> Mr. Spicoli.
2: <laughs> well, we're going to talk about everything Ringo over the next half hour, 45 minutes, maybe even an hour. We'll talk about his childhood, his drumming, his life with the Beatles, the breakup, his friends, addictions. I mean, we have a long list, and I've met, I've been honored to meet Ringo many times, and uh, Mr. Diaz, a uh, producer, I gave you a bunch of different IDs. These are, these are all culled from interviews that I did with Ringo over the years. Maybe he's been on the show six, seven, eight times. I've lost count, and I become a different person when he's on the phone. Uh, I, I get all tongue-tied. I ask dumb questions, but I will tell you, Professor, that uh, tell your students, too, that I've met Paul McCartney many times, and boy, he is down to earth as well. Just sweet guy, very down-to-earth, uh, as is Ringo. Uh, but and life has settled down for those two. Ringo used to dislike the Beatles for a while. They all did. They all went through that. But now in the 70s, they've certainly uh, settled in, and Ringo's on tour all the time, which I think is fantastic.
1: Now, Chachi, one would think that you might relax a little bit more around Ringo because you are talking to him as one drummer to another, aren't you? It's
2: true, and I, I try to talk about the drums. I tell him that I have a kit, and he asks me what size bass and all. But I do get edgy because sometimes he doesn't like to start with the Beatles question. Sometimes... thank you. Well done, Chachi. <laughs> yes, You have to... Um, And maybe it's all in my head, but, and maybe it's also from the years of working with his staff, they're very protective. And back in the day, I remember them saying, don't bring up the Beatles. I mean, it's like, how can you not bring up, well, talk about his tour, but don't talk about them. And then I talk about the Beatles and he's fine. So he is protected.
1: He is protected. And he also famously once said that he didn't like being pestered by someone who would tell him things about his life that he couldn't remember, <laughs> and he would refer to them, and I didn't take this personally, as some mad Little Beatles professor. <laughs>
2: well, I will tell you, one time backstage, I was with my beautiful bride Stephanie. Uh, we were at a Ringo show backstage, and he had us ejected from the backstage <laughs> area. But we didn't do anything wrong. We were the only two people back there. And uh, he's like, who are those two? And then another time, I tried to like run into him to say hi. You know, I was like walking in the venue, and I saw him and Barbara, and I'm coming in one direction, he's walking in another, he sees me, they take a left turn. He's known for trying to avoid people. But when you meet him, and if you're friends with him, he's a joy, and I've got to know him uh, over the years. So let's hear one of those things, David.
0: Shall we start with number one, Charles? Sure, let's start okay. with
2: Chachi. Ringo, how you doing, buddy? Chachi. <laughs> there That's he is. great Chachi. It's me, Ringo, and it's Ringo Stott. You have a weirder name
3: than I do. <laughs> Chachi, Chachi,
0: Chachi. Breakfast with the Beatles on WUMB.
2: Uh, professor, it was February 9th, 1964. The first thing I saw was this guy on a drum pedestal, and I, loved, I said, I love that drummer. And here he is today. Run another one, David. Let's hear it. Hey, Ringo. Hey, good morning, Chachi. You have a lot of family here in Boston. I know that. Do you think anyone in your family has heard my show? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every day
0: they're all tuning in, even the ones in England.
2: <laughs> Breakfast
0: with the Beatles on WUMB.
2: Oh, Matt, he you, he's, he's a joy. Another one, David. Oh, sorry.
0: <laughs> this is Ringo Starr. You're listening to, what's that?
2: Cha-cha-chi, chachi. cha-chi, cha-chi.
0: There you go. Breakfast with the Beatles. Okay, goodbye, cha On WUMB. That was from the
2: very first tour. He sold out two nights at Great Woods. 20,000 people a night. My phone is ringing. It's an 800 number. <laughs> that must be one of those marketing calls. I should shut my phone off. David, you're the producer. You should tell me that. Right, sorry about that. Josh. But uh, that was the first year, the first tour Two nights, forty thousand people at Great Woods, Billy Preston, all of them, and that's when I first met Ringo, and that was a it was a fantastic moment, and uh, I
1: couldn't I couldn't believe it. Jachi, I, I, again, uh, necessarily and, and rightfully uh, uh, being second banana here, the closest I've ever gotten, of course, was uh, meeting uh, some members of the All Star Band at any given time. I wow. think uh, when he came through Boston once, and I was taking my students. The, the next night, the previous night, there was a gathering of his entourage at the Hard Rock Cafe near Faneuil Hall. And oh, everyone, yes. everyone, thought, everyone thought Ringo might show up. Yeah, and I so did too. I, I had some uh, chicken wings with, uh, with um, uh, Gary Wright. Uh, <laughs> How were those? <laughs> uh, they were... Uh, weaver chicken wings? Y- yeah, Dream Dream weaver, Dream weaver, chicken. weaver chicken wings. <laughs> and also with, um, oh goodness, uh, uh, Hang On Sloopy. Uh, the, uh, the, the the McCoys, McCoy's the, uh, 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 Rick Derringer. Oh yes, yes, Rick Derringer. Yes, yes. Uh, and previous, uh, having had a chance to uh, uh, not get an autograph, but chat briefly with Billy Squire, who was uh. also a member of the Entourage at one point. So um, that was a good party. Uh, yeah, it, it was a good party, but like Godot, Ringo never showed up. Okay,
0: Josh, if we could uh, take a break, and we'll return with your guests. Let's Is that cool? It.
2: Yeah, that's fine. Let's let's, let's do
0: that. And uh, on the way out, Chachi. Yeah, let's hear it. I I know you want to hear more of you and Ringo. I so love it. There you go. Okay.
2: Hey, Ringo. Good morning. Hi, Chachi. How many
0: times have we talked to
2: each other? We've it talked must be a hundred. We've it talked must be to, a hundred. I wish it was a million. Breakfast with the Beatles.
0: You know the title says it all. With Chachi Lipret.
2: You know how we feel about you here in Boston.
0: You love me in Boston on WUMB.
2: See, that was the stupidest thing. He says, how many times we talk? And I say, I wish it was a million. See, I don't know what I'm saying when I'm talking to Ringo. I should have said, I'm blessed to talk to you just once. But it was very early. He, he was out of bed very early. And I was like, oh, my God, Ringo's up.
0: Hi, I'm John Perel. You may remember me from, well, I guess a lot of things on Boston radio, but I am in the podcast biz now. I'm hoping you can tune into my new show called "The Meter Is Running." New episodes posted regularly on Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. And you know what? Lucky me, I get a co-host. I'm working with my good friend Shira Springer of the Boston Globe and WBUR.
3: Well, John, it is great to be here. There are a lot of stories we don't get to tell in print and radio, and now we can do that here.
0: And you know what, sure, consider yourself charmed. Yes, indeed. Our (laughs) guests will include some real big shots in sports, politics, business. You name it, we have it. We'll also have a lot of fun along the way. Make sure to check for the latest episode on pod617.com. Listen up, Boston, and listen to the meter is running on the Boston Podcast Network.
1: From pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, you're listening to Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette.
2: Okay, let's get back to the Beatles. Here we are. We are back again. I'm here with Professor David Gallant, the teacher of the Beatles class at Suffolk University in Boston. As our show today is Ringo, because in just, uh, gee, less than a month, September 17th, Ringo will be playing in Boston, his only New England appearance, we have a very special guest on the phone right now. He wrote this fantastic book. I really enjoyed this book. I mean, Professor, look at it. I mocked all the pages because I read it before and I loved it. It's really a great book. And Ringo, for me, as I said previously, when I saw The Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show in 1964, my eyes went to the drummer, and he was having such a great time, and, and I was a huge Ringo fan. So it's an honor to have the author of Ringo with a little help Mr. Michael Seth Starr. How you doing, Michael? Thank you for coming on the show.
3: Oh, thanks for having me on, Chachi. I appreciate it. It's
2: my pleasure. Let me, let me just go briefly with what you have done. And, Professor, wait till you hear the stuff that, that Michael has done. He's the author of seven books, first Ringo, of course. My favorite actor, Peter Sellers, a film history. And uh, I will say my, probably my f- most favorite film of all times is Being There. Michael, how do you feel about Being There? Great film, right? <laughs>
3: a great movie and uh, Sellers has received an Oscar nomination for that. Uh, many people felt he should have won that year. 1979, I believe it was.
2: It's kind of like the president today just like finding himself in the White House.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's kind of like
2: uh, reflects that a little bit. Uh,
1: Chance the Gardener is a bit more kindly, I think. <laughs>
2: yes. The other right. one is <laughs> fantastic. I love Raymond Burr, specifically Perry Mason. I watched Perry Mason the other night and Dick Clark was on, and he was the murderer. And the name of the book is Hiding in Plain Sight, The Secret Life of Raymond Burr. Another great book, Michael. Thank you for that one. I love Raymond Burr.
3: Yeah, actually, the Dick Clark episode, I believe, was the finale, was the series finale of Perry Mason. Really? That was the last episode. Yeah, I'm pretty sure.
2: Wow. And that was a great episode. No one thought that Dick Clark could murder someone, but <laughs> apparently in this episode he did. And then he did a book on Odd Connie. <laughs> Art Carney uh, Biography I love the movie About the cat Harry the, What was the name Of the Harry film Harry and Tonto Harry and Tonto And I love Art Connie. Bobby Darren, A Life Shouldn't Have Died So Young That's not the title I threw that in He should not have died So young I love Bobby Darren. Great job on that book Michael Gee whiz Thank you Black and Blue The Red Fox Story Another great one You know what My favorite episode Of uh, uh, Sanford and Son uh, Maybe you'll get it Just when I say I Want My Daddy's Records. <laughs> Greatest episode. where. where Blind, uh, Mellow Jelly. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he figures out that all those blues records are worth money after he, uh, his son donates them to a library. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, well, not of course, but uh, the Joey Bishop story, Mouse in the Rat Pack. I love Joey Bishop. With the Joey Bishop Talk Show and the series, which is still on TV, you can see it. So what yeah, a great
3: they put it, it back.
2: Yeah, and so what a great lineup of books. And are you still at the New York Post?
3: I am. Fantom- you calling me now?
2: My favorite newspaper. I wish that I, I get a feed from them every day, and I wish I could get a feed with just the front page brilliant front pages i love the new york post And in fact if i knew you were in new york i was in there la- i was there last thursday with uh, hanging out with uh, my friend danny bennett son of tony bennett we were if i knew it, i would have called you and we would have went to patsy's together we all
3: had dinner. There you go. we
2: all had dinner at Patsy's. so anyway <laughs> now that we've got that all aside oh you know and you're working on another book right now and that's why i appreciate you taking the time and this one besides being at Beatle Conventions for the rest of your life, you'll be at Star Trek <laughs> conventions because he's writing a book right now on William Shatner.
3: Oh, isn't that great? Yes. Yes, that will be out uh, next year.
2: You will have a career in conventions once you retire.
3: Yeah, yeah, well, listen, I did uh, I did uh, the the Beatles convention here in uh, Westchester County a couple of years back. Beetlefest. Ah, Beetlefest. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, sure. yeah, with
2: Mark. He's yes. a great guy. He's a yes. Great guy. Okay, my friend, let's talk about Ringo. He's coming into town this month, and we want to talk about uh, his life. Uh, my f- One of my favorite, well, my favorite Beatle back then. But then I shifted over to George, but let's talk, let's start from the beginning. July 7th, 1940, Ringo Starr, as opposed, Richard Stocky, as opposed to the other three, he lived in, would you call, would you say poverty uh, compared to the other three?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, not abject poverty. I mean, his 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 father left the family at a very when, when when Ringo slash Richard was very young. His mother did work; she held down several jobs. I mean, he always had a roof over his head. He always had clothes on his back. Uh, there are some photos in the book showing him uh, actually was with a pretty fancy suit on that he that he bought with his own money. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say abject poverty, but I would say very very lower lower class and struggling put it that way.
2: Yeah, and I would think he's probably the most unlikely unlike, the most unlikeliest of the four to become a Beatle. I mean, who would ever guess that Ringo Starr? He wasn't supposed to make it through his teenage years. He was very sickly, right?
3: Yes, he was very he had two bouts of uh, of, of very very critical illnesses, one where he came very close to death. And missed a lot of schooling because of that, and, uh, you know, was was, uh, very, I think, I think still is probably to an extent a little, you know, embarrassed by his lack of education. Not that it's hurt him in any aspect of of his life, as we can see now, but, you know, compared to John Lennon and, and Paul McCartney and George Harrison to a lesser extent, who all had, you know, a lot of schooling, he really didn't, and he didn't learn to read until he was, I think, seven or eight. I don't remember off the top of my head, but he. It, it took a while because he 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 had missed so much school because of his illnesses. And and, and I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to you know dominate this conversation, the Professor. Oh, if you want to jump jump at any time, feel free. Oh, he
2: will. He yeah. knows.
1: <laughs> well, I think that it's it's kind of an important uh, point. Uh, one thing that we talk about in class. Uh, is, you know, starting in the 50s with the uh, uh, well, the late 40s, the Butler Education Act, the Butler Education Reform Act, which was going to make schooling uh, more universal uh, up to a certain age in England, and uh, uh, certainly that put in aspirations to go beyond your particular social class, and, and as you mentioned, the other three uh, certainly took advantage of that more so. At the same time, Uh, There was a little bit more, I guess, um, uh, in that aspiration, a little bit more concerned with how you appeared to the neighbors, you know, with Paul and George growing up and basically uh, housing projects, not like we would consider them, but council houses, and Lennon being squarely in the middle class in his Aunt Mimi's. Um, Ringo didn't necessarily have those burdens, did he? I mean, everyone in the Dingle pretty much, you know, uh, they were aligned with each other. It's almost like a, a subset of Liverpool. If Liverpool felt different from the rest of England, the Dingle felt different from the rest of Liverpool. Would, would you agree? Right,
3: right. I think it's a good point, yes, and I think the expectations were different. Uh, if you were growing up in the Dingle, and, and Ringle, uh left school when he was 15, he became a an apprentice joiner, mm-hmm. sort of making furniture, I believe. It was for for a gym, making gym equipment, basically, and and took up the drums a, a little before that. So, I mean, he he his aspirations uh, were just getting a a a job that that paid a, a good wage and finding steady work and. And uh, the the drumming was sort of uh, took took a backseat for a while, or at least early in his in his career, until he until he uh, signed with uh, Rory Storm, and then it really took off from there.
1: Yeah, um, you know that's one point um, that I found very interesting in uh, in your narrative, and and my class is is very curious as to you know, the, the changeover, the, the, the sacking, if you will, of Pete and the installation of, of Ringo. And I don't know if, if you could explain a little bit further that he must have, obviously he knew of the Beatles. He knew he had played with them in Germany. A lot of the bands who were coming up in Liverpool all knew from each other and and hung out, if you will, and maybe competed a bit. But I try to explain to the class that at that time, if Ringo had made the decision to perhaps leave the apprenticeship world, (laughs) which was going to be that guarantee, to try to make his living full time as a musician and to have a gig with Rory that was so steady through a whole summer playing the, the, the holiday camps of Butlins. But to leave that when when he was contacted by, you know, Brian Epstein and the others to join, he must have had extreme faith because they weren't the Beatles yet. Yes, they had a contract. They were associated with Brian Epstein. But was this a matter of, you know, he was really casting fate to the wind to leave something that steady to take that chance?
3: And I, let me amazing. just
2: add in that he was, he was really popular, too. He was yes. the best drummer in Liverpool.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was considered by many people to be the best drummer. I, I think it was a combination of things. I think the fact that the Beatles, oh, oh, they you know they had recorded, and they were turned down, but they had actually gone and recorded a few things before that. And uh, as you point out, he he knew them from playing with them at the same club in in Hamburg, and he knew them from Liverpool. And they had uh, fancy suits, and they had a they had a manager, which which few bands at that point had. I think he. I think he saw that they were they were on their way up. Yeah, I mean, oh, even, fancy
1: suits, but he he gave up his pink suit from Rory's band. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's, well, that's a, and Rory wanted to keep it, and I I found it really interesting that you you have the quote I think from the promoter Sam Leach when he said that he felt like the the distinction or the difference in the quality of drumming between Ringo and Pete wasn't as dramatic as, as history has shown us, but that even before we, the world knew what it meant, he said that Ringo was a better (laughs) Beatle. And, and so that's kind of an interesting concept to play with that, you know, before we know of the Beatles as this separate entity, even from these four guys, he was going to be a better Beatle than Pete.
3: Yeah, I, you listen. I mean, you know, I, I, none of us were were there at that point in Liverpool. It, it it depends. A lot of people have different stories about it and different versions. But I, I I think that's that's also a a fair point. There's stories of Pete Best being very aloof from the other three and very sullen and. You know, at towards the end, not showing up to gigs and that sort of thing, and 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 Ringo never had that problem with with uh, Rory Storm. He was always he always showed up, and he, he had a he was he had a very outgoing personality, a very Liverpoolian sense of humor, which he shared with with John Paul and George. And I think he, I, I, I there's no doubt in my mind. Although, like I said, I wasn't there, obviously, that he just he fit in better um, with the other three than then did Pete best um, you know oh, oh, listen, I mean Pete best would probably tell you the exact opposite but right I mean that's that's the way history played out and there's nothing that can change that so it, it, you know. it seems
1: it seems so natural in retrospect that that foursome at times needed the clown right and and maybe he just he naturally fit that role without any other pretensions maybe coming from the dingle and coming from those circumstances he could take a joke maybe better than anybody.
3: Yeah, I mean, and you know, who knows? You know, there were also stories that you know Paul McCartney was jealous of Pete Best because he was getting more attention than than was Paul, and you know Ringo certainly you know he had his fans, but he wasn't you know sort of a sex symbol type, and uh, maybe that was you know maybe that played into into account. The, the the story of of Pete Best's firing? Like I think even to this day, you know, fifty five, fifty six, fifty seven years later, it's murky. I mean, it's like, it, it depends is. on who you believe in and which version you're more likely mm-hmm. to ascribe to. Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, I mean, how did Ringo feel where he leaves Rory Storm, they go to the recording session, and he's replaced on Love Me Do? I mean, he must have thought, boy, did I make the right decision here.
3: Yeah, I think. And, and it, it was not uncommon back then. I know Mick um, Avery, the drummer for the Kinks, didn't play on uh, You Really Got Me and all day and all the night because of the. It was just sort of uh, the drummers were not considered, at that point in time, at least in the studio, a key component of the sound. And uh, and I've I've always felt this uh, that that uh, George Martin never really liked Ringo's drumming. I I don't think he was ever a fan, even up until the day the Beatles broke up. You're kidding. And. I, 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 and I, I think I, I, it, I don't know whether it comes through in the book or not. I always felt he was a little condescending.
2: Well, let me let me uh, read let me read this excerpt that I got from the book. Uh, Ringo was always sitting in the reception area waiting, just sitting or reading a newspaper. He used to sit there for hours waiting for the others to turn up. One night he couldn't stand it anymore. He got fed up and left. George Martin said that he was having trouble with Ring- Ringo. But I'm not surprised, said author Hunter Davis, who was an eyewitness. Ringo was often virtually ignored. John and Paul would break off for sometimes hours at a time. There was often no need for Ringo to be there at all. His contribution could be dubbed any time. So, I mean, everyone thinks being a Beatle must be the greatest thing in the world, but there were dynamics within the band that really, you know, were causing issues.
3: Yeah, well, listen, don't forget, George Harrison felt left out, too. I mean, he was, it was Lennon and McCartney writing songs together, and the, you know, if you can jump in if you want and, and address that. It was it wasn't always. You know, Ringo wasn't the only one. I think George Harrison felt alienated at times, and the other two wouldn't listen to his ideas and overruled him. And and you know, it's it's a it's a band. It's a dynamic, and it's like a family. Sometimes it's going to be dysfunctional. Like I suppose. Yeah, I, I also think
1: at at times um, if we if we listen you know, closely with some of the anthology musings, et cetera, that, uh, you know, George Martin will also think uh, or say clearly that Ringo's drumming was indispensable to to uh, many of the tracks. You know, if we think about Rain and we think about Strawberry Fields Forever and and maybe not given as much credit as, say, even a... A, a creative minor fill by, say, George Harrison, where McCartney, upon reflection, would say, well, you know, he makes the And I Love Her. You know, he makes that. Uh, but, you know, I think that uh, um, it would be very difficult for George Martin's ears... Uh, to necessarily uh, appreciate rock drumming, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, traditional or, or, or otherwise, because, you know, his ears were classically trained, and, and certainly we know that he became very much a favorite of what McCartney was experimenting with, because it had more, you know, classical aspirations, and that type of arrangement, and so it probably was something that he just wasn't accustomed to hearing, except... You know, I think drummers are very important on comedy albums, and George Martin certainly did enough of that.
3: <laughs> right, Peter Sellers. He yeah. produced a lot of the Peter Sellers comedy albums in the early 60s, but, uh, you know, he was not a rock person by any by any means. I mean, I guess he became one eventually by working with the Beatles and, and other bands. Um, and I think there's uh, another... Somebody else has written a book, I believe, about George Martin, and there's some kind of story of why he ended up working with the Beatles. I I think there's some some... Less desirable aspects to that story that I that I I can't quote because I don't I, I've read about it somewhere yeah, anyway. That's Ken Womack, it's off topic. No, Ken Womack is doing that. Yes. Yeah, but, um, you know, but uh, yeah, but I I I I always felt that, and 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 I'll be honest with you, I think that Paul McCartney has also always been a little condescending uh towards Ringo and his drumming and probably other people too but well let me ask uh, you let me
2: ask you this Michael I've heard stories of when the Beatles left the studio Paul would jump on the drums and put in his own drumming and take out Ringo's true false
3: yeah well, well I I I that I, I I can't speak to that I there there are some quotes from Ringo in that in that doorstop of a book The Beatles Anthology where he talks about that where you know the the Paul would would get onto his drum set when he wasn't there or he would tell him how to play something and maybe I've never been in a rock band. Maybe that's not unusual. Maybe if you write a song, you want your drummer to play it a certain way. Uh, I, I don't know. I really don't know. But I always felt that, um, I think I still, even, even now, I mean, you know, McCartney kind of has, you know, Ringo's my brother and I mean, you know, listen, I mean, they're, they're in their uh, record. Ringo's going to be 80 in a few years. They're, they're you know, they're <laughs> up there now. They've known each other forever. I mean, what else is he going to say? But, um, I think if you read between the lines and a lot of the quotes from McCartney through the years, especially the Beatle years, he didn't think much of Ringo's uh, talents as a as a drummer.
2: Oh, I think he is one of the greatest drummers. I look at him as like a chef that can make a gourmet meal with two ingredients. You know, Ringo with his four-piece kit, two cymbals. He doesn't need the huge Neil Peart drum set with 200 drums. <laughs> uh, what he creates with that, his simplicity makes it so...
3: Great that, and I've always loved Ringo's drumming. I mean, my my thought has just always been he was he was the perfect drummer for that band. I mean, and I I think I you know I sort of say this in the book in the introduction. I mean, nobody ever talked about John Lennon's unbelievable rhythm guitar playing. Nobody ever talked about George Harrison's unbelievable lead guitar playing. So why is it always you know Ringo's drumming? (laughs) You know, mccarty's bass playing was awesome, and I think people always pointed that out, but you put those four elements together and their and their talents together into one unit and it just it's for the most part it's just seamless I mean
1: yeah and, and especially yeah. the it's a great both uh, in your introductory remarks as well as what you have in the epilogue is a great bookend because the Uh, the highest praise comes from the other drummers. And so these are the people who know. And some of them would not have picked up the sticks if not for Ringo. And so... uh You know they can appreciate that on uh, on that level, but um, and maybe it's also at a certain at a certain point where you know the infighting or they can criticize each other and and if it's someone's criticizing Ringo's drumming and it's McCartney or it's Lennon, then um, it it almost exists in a different realm anyway. So it's uh, I I do I do agree that, that he was the perfect drummer for that band, but he was the perfect fourth member as well. Uh, At a certain point, uh, obviously, before they just go into the studio, the musicianship and the drumming, at least playing live, is obviously secondary. You know, it it, uh, nothing was heard, but he was an important part of that show and an important part of uh, of the spectacle. Right? I mean, he was, as he says, he was part of the greatest show on earth for what it was worth.
3: <laughs> yeah, I believe when they uh, when when the Beatles came here to play the Ed Sullivan Show in, in February of nineteen sixty four, he was he was considered by many the most popular member. I mean, and then once people got to get got to know, you know, John and Paul and George, the dy- the dynamic might have shifted a little bit. But I think when the Beatles first came here, uh, he was and it remained popular through the through the run of the group and and. Uh, you know, they all had their labels, which I'm sure they detested. The cute one, the funny one, Ringo, you know, the, the quiet one, and the cute one and all that, the intellectual. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm not saying anything nobody said 10,000 times before, but I, I do think Ringo was, if you just look at, forget about the technical stuff, then he would he would probably be the first one to say he's he was never been a great technical drummer, but just his influence on the position of the rock drummer, how we add the rock drummers is considered. and as you mentioned before, Chachi, the, the drummers and he influenced who picked up drumsticks because they saw him on the Ed Sullivan show on that on that riser behind the drum kit.
2: Yeah, it was an amazing night. but another thing in your book you talk about, you know, certainly when the Beatles were on tour it was mayhem uh, within but it's a little quieter in the hurricane the eye of the hurricane. but uh, like let me read this excerpt I love your book, Michael. Uh, Peter Brown who I met, great guy, revealed that Ringo had been awake for three days, fueled by Purple Hearts, hmm. the amphetamine tablets that had replaced Prellies. Ringo admitted that he and his bandmates often got the pills from the cops who were assigned to protect them, and when they busted people with their pills, they would give them to the, <laughs> to the Beatles. <laughs> and, and then you also talk about how Ringo disappeared for like 24 hours and they couldn't find him and he took off with the cops and he's racing his car around the Indianapolis Speedway there. So it it was crazy. And those, those, that was 65, 64. It was nuts back then.
3: Yeah. And they weren't the only ones. I mean, if you had, you, you, you read any history of the who, for instance, and with, with Townsend and and Keith Moon, especially with the pills and the, the brownies and the purples and the yellows. And it was just a part of that culture. Uh, and part of the touring life, especially to, to, to keep up for the shows and, you know, you're playing, you know, ten shows in ten different cities, and with the Beatles, it was everything was just, you know, pardon the pun, was just amplified by a thousand times because they were the biggest act, show business act on earth for, for several years, you know, and it was all, all sorts of craziness. Well,
2: and pardon me for jumping around, but you know, let's since we're talking about the uh, the Prellies and everything, uh, he took the breakup the hardest, and I think, and maybe you agree. And then that's he slipped into the nineteen seventies addictions of, uh, of uh, alcohol and uh, because what was he to do? He was the probably the unhappiest of the four after the breakup. Am I correct?
3: Yeah. Well, he I, you know he had the most to lose. He he was not a songwriter like the other three. Um, he didn't have the the dominant personality of a Lennon or McCartney or to a lesser extent George Harrison. And they all chipped in to help him on his solo albums and wrote songs for him and everything and. You know, listen. John Lennon was was a heroin addict. I mean, it. it what again? Nothing unusual uh, for all. For I don't know about McCartney. And I can't speak to that. Or or or, uh, or George Harrison. But, you know, a lot of uh, as we know, a lot of rock stars have their addictions, and many from that era did not survive. And <laughs> you I know, th- much much past their you know late twenties or early thirties.
2: And isn't it amazing that John Lennon could kick heroin. I mean, that doesn't quite happen as easily nowadays anymore. You hear the stories. Uh, But he kicked heroin, and Ringo you know, finally got on the straight and narrow. But let me jump to when he made the announcement about no more autographs. Because we only have you for a certain amount of time, so I want to get these things in. Um, What was his state of mind then? Because I thought he had his act together at that point. But I think you may... Where was yeah. he at?
3: Where was he at? You know, it's 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 all it's conjecture. I mean, I can't say definitively. It was a weird, very weird moment, and it just as I think the the you know the the constant repetition of peace and love is to me a little strange, even to this day. Um, you, any you quote from him? It's always peace and love, peace and love, peace and love. But it's but I think that was 2008 with the uh, I'm not going to sign any autographs anymore. That was just a weird moment, and uh, I think he. You can you can, correct me, Chachi. I think he ended up. Did he ever reverse that and say, "Well, I'm gonna, no. I'm gonna." No. <laughs> no.
2: In fact, Paul okay. Paul picked it up too without without making an announcement like Ringo. But Paul doesn't give autographs either.
1: Well, I, yeah. I think I mean, what what Ringo what Ringo did after that to to maybe soften such a harsh stance of either you know denying his fame or not wanting to be. Uh, merely sort of, you know, uh, uh, carved up like that, is to um, uh, at the same time probably or or similar time frame advance his charitable causes. Where if his signature is on something, then it's it's meant to raise money for causes that are near and dear to his heart. Right, the Lotus
3: Foundation. Yeah, and that's a and that's a, that's a great point. And you know, it, it's you know, I'm going to sign this thing, and then somebody's going to put it on eBay for you know th- whatever. And it just it's it's it's. I can certainly understand that that aspect of it. Um, can't speak to why he decided to come out with that statement at that time and, and video games. But he did, and uh, at least to his guns. off his has twelve years, ten years later, right?
2: We we just had a little problem with the audio there, Michael. So,
3: uh, no worries. I oh, there you go. Saying, You're back. I
2: was, You're back.
3: Yeah, I, I was just saying. You know, I I, I can't speak to why he decided. To, to do that in 2008 and, and, and tape himself doing it. But to his credit, he, he did stick to his guns. And I, and I think there is a lot to be said for, uh, okay, well, if you're going to make money off my name, at least it's going go to go to a worthwhile, you know, or, or not make money, but, you know, use my name for a good cause. Yeah, and worthwhile. I will tell you
2: that it's the truth. I was at a Ringo show a couple of years ago, and I met a woman there who was trying to get to Ringo to thank him because the lotus foundation made an anonymous donation for her child who was in the boston hospital and ringo the lotus foundation covered all the expenses so he does help people anonymously and so and so good for him but let me ask you about his friendships and one of you know, we talked about peter sellers he was dear friends with peter and you've written a biography on peter sellers and ringo why were they such close friends
3: i think they had a they, i think they had a shared sense of humor i think uh, growing up in, in, in which Ringo did in, in, the, in the you know in the fifties in England, the Goon Show, which Sellers was famous for, was such a big influence on kids who were that who were Ringo's age, you know, maybe uh, twelve to fifteen years old. I mean, Sellers was an idol to these to these kids, and not only to Ringo, but you know, to, to McCartney and and and, and uh, John Lennon, who you know loved loved the Goon Show and loved Sellers. But I think uh, they just felt a the kinship. They had a, they, sh- they shared a same sense of humor, maybe the same feelings about fame and, and insecurities and that sort of thing. And the fleeting aspect of it, Sellers was unbelievably insecure, um, almost to the point of being psychotic about it. But, um, you know, and, and yeah, I think, and I think it's in, in the book, there's a story of when, when Ringo walked out on the Beatles during their white album, he, he spent a couple weeks on Sellers' yacht. I believe it was in Sardinia. Yep. And uh, you know, wrote *Octopus's Garden*. So, yeah, they they had a very close friendship, and he, they made a movie together, *The Magic Christian*, in uh, 1969.
2: Yeah, and the other three Beatles, like you said, loved Peter Sellers, and Peter Sellers gave them a Grammy, uh, presented them with the Grammy for *Help*. Because the Beatles didn't go to America for the uh, for the awards, but the other relationship, let's talk about the combination of gasoline and a match. <laughs> Ringo Starr and Keith Moon. I yeah. Mean, oh boy. Crazy.
3: Oh boy. Yeah, and <laughs> Harry Nilsson too. For all those three, yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, exactly. That's a perfect. You know, you talk about a conflagration the perfect conflagration of uh, personalities who are just you know out to have a good time with lots of money and plenty of time to spend it and uh, yeah, that uh, as we know, it did not end well for Keith Moon or Harry Harry Nilsson. You know, died young of a heart attack. But he was also a massive drinker and 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 loved to party. And those three uh, were notorious. For you their, know, it's
1: uh, it, it's interesting that uh, it, it the role that Ringo played uh, in. John's Lost Weekend <laughs> is often underplayed in a way. You know, that seems to be the important narrative that that, that Yoko kind of owns, and she sends May Pang out with John, and so work this out of your system, and everything like that. And, you know, and Ringo is, a, a, again, kind of a, a, a known quantity for John, and a, and a willing partner to almost sort of, uh, you know, party him through this in some odd way. I kind of think of the Lost Weekend as a as a um, uh, a sequel to Ringo hanging out in Spain and keeping John company while he's filming How I Won the War, you know?
3: Right, right, that's a good point.
1: And then yeah. Ringo was there first on site, unfortunately, uh, in uh, at the Dakota, you know, because I think I remember reading at the time that, uh, where the other Beatles were, and that somehow Ringo showed up first, and you knew he would be there. That that was the quote, I think, of the man who, I think, wrote the cover story for Time Magazine, Jay Cox, uh, that you you Ringo would be there, you knew he would be there, and that sort of that companionship uh, was a way that I think Lennon really did appreciate it, much, maybe more so than McCartney. I think Lennon could see through the fact that all of the pressure and education and everything he was supposed to be intellectually, and Ringo knew as much intuitively about the world. And after having gone to school for barely a, a blink of an eye, right?
2: Yeah, right. And, and Ringo was the true working class hero. <laughs> I mean, even though John <laughs> yeah. said he was, uh, but Ringo was the working class hero for sure.
3: You know, I just wanted to add one more. I just back to Sellers for a second because I thought about this as you were talking. You know, Sellers was also a, George Sellers was a drummer early in his career, so I think they had he had the drums in common with Ringo too. He played the drums um, professionally. Peter Sellers did before uh, before the war and after the for a short time after the war before he got involved with uh, Spike Milligan and Seacomb and the Goon Show and all that. But uh, so I think they shared a. a love for the drums. Well, he
1: was—he was, he was also a great inspiration for a lot of the other uh, uh, rock stars and uh, celebrities in England uh, to um, uh, move out of England and uh, save your money from the tax taxman. Uh, <laughs> I think Sellers was was kind of uh, was the Pied Piper for that, right? And uh, so that's why a lot of them a lot of them did it to you know diversify their holdings and keep them away from uh, uh, the Queen's tribute, if you will. And then there's also the great sort of uh, Sellers, uh, you know, Shakespearean spoken word through a hard day's night, right? Uh, And uh, uh, And which I always, I always appreciate it. But I think you know what? I think Sellers is ripping off Steve Allen, who sang, (laughs) who spoke his way through Bebop Alua one night on the old Tonight Show. But uh, still a good, still a good moment. Well,
2: listen, Michael Seth Starr, we appreciate you coming on the show today. And i got to tell you, he wrote this fantastic book called Ringo with a Little Help. He also wrote a fantastic book on Peter Sellers, Raymond Burr, Art Connie, Bobby Darren, The Red Fox Story, and Joey Bishop, all great books. These are heroes of mine, uh, perfect combination. He's working on a, a book on William Shatner now. So Michael Sethstar, thank you, michaelsethstar.com. Is that correct, Michael?
3: Yeah, you got it. Okay, thank you, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. You know, thank I you. know
2: you're busy, and uh, I wanted to say thank you for coming on our podcast today. And we hope to talk to you again, Michael. Thank you so much.
3: Anytime. Okay, Chachi. buddy. You take care. Okay, thanks. Okay, bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.
2: Well, thank you. That's Michael. Was, he was a great guy, right?
1: No, fantastic. Yeah. And uh, um, I, I really find it interesting, Chachi. We were talking about this even before we arrived here today about the if you put all of. of uh, of uh, star's books on a shelf next to each other. And you try to find a line that you can draw through them. Yeah. You know, uh, now interesting that he's doing Shatner, Isn't you know, it a- hey, I, I, right. I mean, yeah. you know, uh,
2: that's what I would love to do in my life. I would have wanted to be a writer more than anything.
1: Uh, cause I think it's a great life, but
2: I can't write for, um, I don't know if I can say that word, but you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Ringo Starr and his All-Star Band 2018 tour at the Box Center Wang Theater, September 17th, 2018. Tickets at boxcenter.org. If you're going to come to the show, please come downstairs to our art show, the Ringo Starr Art Show. I will be there, Breakfast with the Beatles, my radio show, and get back to the Beatles. I'm sponsoring the art show, and you can meet Ringo Starr if you purchase a select piece of art that will go to help the Lotus Foundation. So uh, make sure you you come to the show. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's a few hundred seats
1: left. Professor, anything as we wrap up? You know, I will I will be at that show as well, Chachi, with my students, and uh, come on down to the show. And my students will be more than happy to sign autographs for you.
2: Now, David Yaz, do we have any more Ringo things that we didn't play?
0: Uh- uh perhaps Chuch, I forget I if we Let's heard play number this number 4. Yes he really is insufferable isn't he uh, professor. Uh, yes <laughs> we get it. You know Ringo. Here's another one. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Ringo, you've been talking to DJs
2: for over 50 years. I have. Do you always enjoy talking to DJs like me? No, not all of them. (laughs) But
0: you, oh, I can't wait to talk to you. you Breakfast with the Beatles on WUMB.
2: Thank you, David Jazz, our spiritual advisor and the man behind the scenes at the Boston Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in to Pod617.com. We'll be back in a couple weeks uh, with another episode, and I think we're going to start going into the White Album. We're going to have our future guest, uh uh, Jude um, Kessler Kessler yes Jude, Jude Sutherland Kessler who is on her fourth of like eight editions of The Life of John Lennon she'll be a guest coming up soon and uh, so you can always find us here along with other great shows now David yes I did a show with uh, John O'Neill about uh, Vincent Price did that podcast ever run?
0: Uh, no that's locked in the archives along with the remains of Vincent Price so it's not as, not as thank not you for bringing up the point that um, I kind of forgot about that one no, no, we, we, that will be up very shortly. By the time you, you hear uh, this show, we will have the latest. On, Chachi and John O'Neill on Fright Night, the podcast, pod617.com. I, I,
2: David, a Professor, I brought in my giant Vincent Price cookbook mm-hmm. that I bought years and years ago, and I just happened to be on eBay. It was selling for 160 bucks, but I will not sell mine.
0: We'll get it up there along with um, along press. with the video of the film you were commenting on, the Last Man on Earth. The last Man yes. on Earth,
2: great film, great film. Yes. So, Professor Gallant, are you prepared for another session of students coming? in? You know,
1: in? Uh, I'm I'm uh, uh, tweaking the syllabus uh, as we speak. Uh, class starts on. The uh, on the fifth of September, and uh, it'll only be a couple weeks into the course where we're actually going to see Ringo. So I may have to, I may have to, uh, you know, spoiler alert, spill the beans jump a, little around bit. a little bit. Yeah, right. jump around a little. Yeah, jump around a little. Makes sense.
2: Yeah. Well, that's fantastic, and uh, we do appreciate uh, you being here. Uh, with me.
3: I'd like to say thank you on behalf yes, of the group ourselves. Them. I hope we pass the audition. <laughs> <laughs> so ladies and
2: gentlemen, on behalf of uh, Professor David Gallant from Suffolk University's Beatle Class, David Yaz, our spiritual advisor and the man behind the scenes at Boston Podcast Network, my name is Chachi. We want to thank our sponsors, Subaru of New England and Direct Tire and Auto Service in Watertown, Norwood, Peabody, and Medway, all sponsoring our podcast. Thank you to the audience that have joined us as we are broadcasting from a secret location at a tiki bar somewhere in the town of Sharon, Massachusetts. Only I don't drink alcohol. But I don't see any alcohol being served. In fact, I didn't even drink my Diet Coke. (laughs) So ladies and gentlemen, have a great day. Come back next time, and uh, check out all the other podcasts on pod617.com. I will do my Ringo imitation from the cartoon. (laughs) Yeah. We'll see
1: you next time. Make sure to check for the latest episode of Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network.
2: <laughs> yeah.